Welcome to Threads of Healing, Conversations with the Wayward and the Wise. This is your host, Dr. Ila Manga, coming to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Threads of Healing is the space for exploring what healing could mean by having deep conversations with wisdom keepers, doctors, artists, storytellers, fact finders and visionaries. We bring awareness to the voices who have answered their call to heal and to discover a new way of living, breathing and being in the world and will inspire you to do the same. So today is an incredibly special episode of Threads of Healing and it's actually quite a personal one for me. I'm going to be talking to someone who has played an integral role in my journey and in the way I see the world and in the way that I practice. She's quite a trailblazer. She's a visionary, she's a healer and she's a creative spirit who expresses her gift in her work as a coach and a powerful facilitator of groups. So today I am so happy, so excited uh, to welcome my very best friend, my soul sister, the person that I do life with, Marisa Farina Lloyd. Welcome to Threads of Healing. Ah, Ila, what an intro. Actually, uh, can I use some of it for my new LinkedIn profile? (laughs) Sure. Sure, with pleasure. It's the truth, every word of it. Oh, wow. So then uh, can I reciprocate with uh, your bio, please? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I picked up your book and I was like, "Mm, how do I introduce this woman of mine? And I found this passage and I was like, actually, this sums you up to an extent, but I think it gives people maybe a little bit of a snippet of you. So I'm going to read a quick paragraph, okay, and then I'll riff about you. (laughs) In my early teenage years... (laughs) I held on to dreams of leaving home and studying Indian classical dancing somewhere in India. But alas, it was brushed off as a fanciful teenage notion. My next choice for a career was journalism. Perhaps unconsciously, there was a restless curiosity even then, an instinct to get a handle on the mystery of the human condition through words and stories. But it was not to be. I was told that it was not a real career and certainly not a lucrative profession. So I dropped that idea too. Medicine was the more responsible choice. Coming from a family of medical professionals, I was strongly encouraged to pursue a career in the medical field. And I can't say that I protested too much. When I was 14, my beloved grandfather fell ill. Each day after school for about two months, I spent time nursing him and at the same time soaked up his wisdom and deepening grace. It was a profound time in my life that shaped some of my fundamental beliefs of life and death. It was also my first experience of healing. I love that paragraph about you because I think it, it actually sums up all the aspects of you that I know so deeply and, and so well. You know, I've seen you doing Indian classical dance in Rishikesh. <laughs> I have seen you wax lyrical with your wonderful words. I have walked a very interesting path with you as a medical doctor. Um, I think you do all of this stuff, actually. I don't know if you're a billionaire yet from it, but um, you certainly have lived up to this uh, vision you had for yourself. 
<laughs> wow, I mean, it's really fascinating um, and, and quite an emotional uh, experience for me listening to you reading that, and uh, quite vulnerable actually, you know. And uh, this is always something that you've done with me is is just really kind of stripped away. Um, layers of my heart just to expose the rawness. And I remember the time in my life when I first met you, um, you know, I was really going through a dark night of my soul. And I remember you actually giving me that book as, I think it was one of the first gifts you ever gave me, um, The Dark Night of the Soul by Thomas Moore. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, so when people look at me now, they think, oh, it, this is just comes naturally or just arrived here. But actually, it, it's been quite a journey. And, you know, when you came into my life, you were such a catalyst, such a catalyst, because that was the beginning of my undoing of layers of conditioning, you know. And it was a very painful process because I really had to come up with ideas of who I thought I was you know, and let go of this formula of success that was so deeply entrenched from uh, such an early time in my life. And, um, yeah, th then we journeyed together, you know. Then we explored all uh, these crazy aspects of life and we adventured and we experimented and, wow, you know. Uh, and, I mean, I think that journey continues today in a different way. But, uh, yeah, that's what you bring to my life. I think one of the key catalytic practices I gifted you with was how to swear. <laughs> oh, yes. Enough, a little bit. <laughs> I was this highly strung, rebellious warrior woman out conquering the world. And you were this like shy, beautiful, you know, perfect doctor. And along comes this wild friend of yours who teaches you how to swear. And yeah, I'd actually say I think we swapped roles now. I think you're the you're the wild warrior one and I'm just you know tame and contained I was actually thinking about that um you know that you always took me to the edge of my comfort zone like there was in my little practice you know practicing as a GP and then you came along and said well well why don't you just come and join me come and work with me at this wellness center and I flip and did you know I sold my practice it made absolutely no sense at the time. I just followed my heart, followed my gut. And um, there we were, you know, we began in this little cottage at the edge of the river in Maldestrift, um, in the cradle of humankind. And we just started to work together. And we created this beautiful creative space. And people came in and we just experimented with this idea of holistic healing you know, and putting people on programs where they would get to experience energy medicine and yoga and massage and then counseling with you. And I mean, those formative years really laid the foundation of the work that we do today. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually, you know, getting ready for this conversation with you was went down a trip of memory lane and just really thought about all these amazing moments we've had together. Um, you know, you were there for the birth of my first child. And oh, yes. I, what I loved so much about that moment was 
I went to the hospital not knowing he was going to arrive that evening. I don't even know how you knew. And I walked into the theater and I was just about to be administered the epidural and I was literally shitting myself. And you walked in and you took my hands and you were there for me in that moment. It's like, you know, you just don't get a better birthing experience. I was just reflecting on, on our journey as well. Um, just, you know, in the build up to, to this conversation. Uh, and I really wanted to talk a little bit about woodlands, actually. Because woodlands is a is a safe space for so many people. It always has been a safe space for people. And even now, even though we've moved away from it, it still remains a place where people come to. It's a sanctuary. And so I thought we could talk a little bit about what got you to creating this space that is your legacy almost. It's almost like your family's legacy. It's your dad's legacy. It's, you know, it's your mom's legacy. There's so much love and history and story that has gone into Woodlands. You know, people that we've worked with, some of them, you know, well, I think of someone particularly um who passed away and who wanted a memorial service at Woodlands and, you know, uh, wanted us to plant a tree and the tree continues to flourish. And, you know, I, wow, Woodlands has always held such a sacredness for me and for so many people. And so, you know, I was thinking about how did it all begin for you? I mean, you studied social work, right, at Wits. And you did your social work stint and living with uh, your parents in the, on this beautiful property in Maldus Drift. And one day you ran a session for women on Women's Day. And it felt like the beginning of something. What happened for you that day? Well, I mean, I think when I think about Woodlands, the first memory I have of it is being a six-year-old little girl and my parents finding this farm and us moving there. And, you know, my parents always brought us up in, in a community. We were never, you know, a conventional four-member family. We always had extended family living with us. We always had some a family living with us. And, mm. and Woodlands just always was that space where, um, you know, we did a lot of creativity and we just had this farm to roam freely on. My brother and I could explore the river Um and so I say that because I, I sometimes wonder, you know, whose idea was it? Was it mine or was it mm. Woodlands's? Yes. I think there was something about that, you know, mm-hmm. there's something just so remarkable about that piece of land that shaped our childhood memories that, you know, fundamentally inform who I am as a person today, I guess. And when we left for me to go, you know, to, to university, I'd moved off the farm for many years mm. and had done a big kind of stint in being a social worker. And I think at that point discovered that healing doesn't happen in the mind, you know, healing happens in the heart and in the body with the mind's assistance. And I think through our social work training, you're just so well-trained. You're so well-equipped with such phenomenal skills to deal with all kinds of situations. Um, But the biggest gift of social work training, I thought, was it takes the approach of look for the inherent resilience and strength in 
the person you're working with, the community you're with. Be resourceful about meeting your client where they're at and what strength they can bring to the situation they might find themselves in, right? And, um, and so I was curious about that and I was curious about this body-mind-heart connection. Mm. And with one of my social work buddies, Lauren Jankalovitz, who was a real mentor for me, we started Wakening of the Magic in Your Soul workshop. And it was primarily a lot for school teachers, you know, women who had these intense jobs of educating kids from impoverished communities. And so we could see the burnout in them and the exhaustion in them. And this whole workshop was really about just, you know, gifting yourself with this awareness of how empowered you actually are as a woman. Don't get caught up in the drama of the stuff that happens in your life. You know, go back to your essence, resource yourself, take damn good care of yourself. Mm. And the take care of yourself part was the whole massage mm. aspect of it. You know, mm. it was cool. You the nurturing. In the morning and in the afternoon, the nurturing. And then the whole afternoon was all this nurturing. Um, and Woodlands essentially evolved from that concept was this, this, you know, this idea that you could create a very holistic form of healing that was super accessible to everyone. That was important to me. That was very important to me is that I wanted the everyday woman to be able to access this kind of healing. I wanted to be, um, I didn't want it to be too out there that it freaked them out. I wanted it to be affordable. I wanted it to be able that I could bring my whole family, my friends with to spend time. You know, that, that was the fundamental principles of what Woodlands was. Um, and it started in my mom's home. I mean, my mother and I were like, I guess we're entrepreneurs at heart and we were very resourceful and we started Woodlands in the home and then the land started calling. It was like, okay, you've experimented enough. Now we're ready for you. And it, it's at that time that you and I really started doing our work together and really started thinking about, so how do we evolve this? What does this work actually mean? What does healing actually mean? Exactly. Where do we want to go with this whole concept? Yeah. Um, and I think a whole real consideration for me in that was nature and the land and the environment in which healing occurs, the container, right. is as equally as important as the experience of healing itself. And I wanted to create a, a space that could hold people, you know, so they could really heal, I guess. And, and, and just the way we designed it was even that sense of walking through the doors and as you walked through, you know, the whole space just opened up to you and you were just in this glass building and you're surrounded by greenery and the trees and a gentle breeze. And just that experience alone was enough to kind of settle you down, you know, it's just like, welcome. Welcome mm. to some peace, some calm, some some time, you know. This is the environment in which healing can happen, you know, that you can just exhale into the space and feel embraced by nature herself. Yeah. And the beautiful, thoughtful design that created that feeling, mm. you know, is mm. just part of the magic of woodlands. Yeah, it's the bones of woodlands. I used to walk down to that land and when it was being built, I was obsessed with it. I would treat it like a living being. <laughs> I was completely obsessed with it. I mean, it was a deeply rewarding process to watch, you know, the ground being broken and then this building just slowly starting to shape and take space and just then blend into the landscape of the river. It was like it was always meant to be there, right? It's like mm -hmm. that land was waiting for this. 
Mm. Um, and that's its legacy, I think. It continues to just hold an energy that's bigger than you and me. Yeah, and, you know, just, yeah, and listening to your story just really speaks to what creativity really is. You know, that this vision comes through, through you, this force, this creative force comes through you, and our role is to manifest it, to ground it, and then leave it, you know? And then leave it. Then you can walk away from it. Then you can detach from it because it's there. And it can just then evolve in the way that it needs to, which is exactly uh, what it's doing now, that it continues to live. It can continues to thrive. Um, and it's, you know, being held by, by Tanya and the beautiful women at Woodlands uh, in a different way, you know. And... You know, sometimes, we, we, sometimes we're so fixed on this idea of what we think our purpose is, this outcome of what we think it is. And, and in fact, it's always changing. It's always evolving. You know, that our purpose is, is not one thing. Our purpose is really just responding to the calling of our heart every moment, every day. You know, and, and, and now just looking at the work you do, uh, you're working so much with men, so much with men in the corporate space. And wow, I mean, it's just fascinating to see how that's evolved and how your healing is happening in, in the spaces between men. Mm. Yeah, and I think the work evolved into... And so, I mean, I think something you and I have always done is that we're not ones for comfort. I think that we, we know when we've reached a certain point when it's time to move on and stretch again. Um, so we have this tendency to throw ourselves out of our nests. And, and when we do it, we just like hate every living second of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like too much. Why am I doing this to myself? But yeah, I think we, we've had to, to really experiment and, and evolve the work. And in doing that, you know, uncover and discover more of ourselves. I think about, you know, who we were when we were 30 years old, we were, we were so much more experimental and risk orientated and adventurous and so naive. And now I see us in our forties and how, you know, a large part of us is just slow down, grounded, and I think we've got a lot more clarity on our tools and how to really make the best use of ourselves um, in the work that we do. And I'm not saying that's always easy, but um, I think that our, our sense of how to do this work is a lot more grounded. Um, and so I take that idea of, you know, having created woodlands as this container of healing, where else do I show up and create containers of healing? And I think that took me towards the work of loving. I love working with teams, for example, mm. and I love working in groups, but Again, I had to really think deeply about how do you set up the right conditions in which teams can do the work? How do you set up the right conditions in which, you know, groups can do the work? Yes. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that, though. So, so what is that? How, how, do you, how do you go about creating the safe container? <laughs> you know, I've been working in the business environment for a long time now, and oh, I don't know how to say this without it's taught me to be very outcome driven and it's taught me to be very result orientated. It's taught me to create tangible evidence of the value of doing this work. I'm slowly letting go of that a little bit because 
a lot of the time when I work with teams and leaders, they're, they're intelligent enough to know what their outcome or their result needs to be. Their work lies in that space between, mm. you know, my work is to go into that place where, you know, it's the iceberg, it's the beneath the surface stuff. It's the heart stuff. It's the, the vulnerability, you know, and vulnerability is not, trust me, I'm not soft and fluffy. I don't cry. Vulnerability is not that for me. Vulnerability for me is, is a bit of emotional risk, a little bit of exposure of yourself because what I'm looking for in that is courage yes. and authenticity. So I think the container that I build is, is a safe one. I set up very clear conditions in which you show up in the process. Right. Um, that's the first piece is just to make people feel really safe and welcome into the process. My skill of intuition and empathy has allowed me to read the room closely enough to know how far and deep I can push a team or a group. And I surface, I work to surface. And I think one of the tools I use to surface is by um, asking good questions a lot of the time. And the questions kind of delay people. People start talking and opening up. And as they're opening up, they start to discover more and more of what feels like truth telling to them. They start to uncover more and more of stuff they may be suppressing. They just start to discover these intersections of awareness of each other that are not always available to them in their day-to-day reality because work can be so transactional, right? Mm-hmm. And there's something in that conversational tone, you know, where you're telling the truth, where you're getting a bit more vulnerable that gives way to creating conditions for trust. And once trust is in the room, once trust is in the team, teams can talk about anything. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that's my work, Ila. I mean, I don't always think about it that deeply. I always go in with an intention to help a team solve a particular challenge. But a lot of the time, the work for me is around, well, let's get real and let's get vulnerable and let's get trust built, you know, mm-hmm. and I have to build the container. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in what you just said, you've articulated so clearly and so beautifully the process of healing. It requires a safe space. You know, how does one create that for oneself, for uh, for a group of people who are coming together? How does one ask the right questions so that we are uncovering what is unconscious to the surface? And then how do we relate to what we're becoming aware of? You know, and and I think that space of creating understanding is the first step in any healing process and any process of transformation. And I think uh, too often, whether we are engaging in our own personal healing process or in a group healing process, that we are outcome driven. You know, we want to see that result. We want to feel yeah differently now, and and I think we don't spend enough time just trying to understand why it has come to be so. Mm, Absolutely. The gift of the discomfort. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And it's subtle. I mean, I I was working with a team yesterday and they were talking about, you know, so how do we see the business at the moment? And one of them started speaking about the future that they're uncertain about. And, and so I just paused for a moment and said, well, how does that make you feel? And they were like anxious and then they carried on talking and then I stopped again. I was like, how does this make the rest of you feel? And everybody's like, well, anxious. And we then spoke about this collective anxiety that's sitting amongst them as a leadership team. What a powerful conversation because in part, 
you know, we transmuted anxiety as this radar that's allowing us to scan the terrain and look for opportunity Mm -hmm. to be on our guard for potential disruption versus capitulating to the fear that anxiety might bring Mm -hmm. the, the kind of fixed mindset anxiety might lock us into. Um, And, you know, I think that moment arrived just because you're watching the conditions of the conversation and leaning right in and finding, Mm. you know, these moments that you can see this team's Mm. ready for. Mm. These little openings. Yeah. It's, mm, It's so fascinating that you're talking about anxiety like this because it feels to me that this is a golden thread through all these conversations on this podcast the powerful role of emotion and learning to relate to the gift of emotion. And, you know, just for me and our work together, we've seen the impact of suppressed emotion. So this guarding up, this fear, this armoring. And this is something that we've just been taught to do, right? It's something that we've inherited, something that we've really, you know, taken on from from the past is just like this protection around that, which just feels so scary. It's like, if I feel this, then I'm, I'm going to die. That's kind of our perception. And, and so true resilience is just learning to be in conversation with these feelings, these emotions, to make sense of them, to feel into what our soul may be trying to communicate to us through the language of feeling. And through our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mental health is a big word. I'm certainly doing a lot of research on it currently to watching kind of, you know, the fallout of COVID. There's some fascinating research. They're able to do longitudinal studies on resilience at the moment because of the prolonged stress response that people find themselves in. Um, I'm, I struggle with the word mental health. I mean, I think it's palatable because people can understand that there's not just your physical health, there's your mental health, but it's too limited. Mm. We have to understand that our, our kind of our mental health is in our bodies, it's in our hearts, it's in our emotional beings. But at the same time, and you and I have spoken about this, anxiety, it's such an interesting and important emotion and word to relate to. Um, you don't experience things. And we've spoken about this, right? You don't experience anxiety. It's the weirdest thing. You've just got this very grounded kind of energy. You can transmute any kind of stressful situation into a different version for you. You reframe, Mm. but someone like me who experiences anxiety, and I think I've experienced it my entire life and was never formally diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, Mm. have learned to resource my anxiety. Right. But I think I phoned you mid COVID and I was like, you know, I really think I have an anxiety disorder and I'm just going to name it. I'm going to go, I suffer from anxiety. Mm. And you're like, okay, cool. You know, Mm. that's what you need to do right now. That's what you need to do right now. And and the important thing for me around doing that was recognizing that the experience of anxiety when it grips you is so intense and it's not that easy to talk your way out of it. And it's not even that easy to express it through, I don't know, yoga yeah. whatever your, your medicine is, right? Sometimes you need support and help to really shave the edge off the anxiety to just get it under control. Um, so, and I say this because 
I think that we've learned to resource our emotional lives very richly with yoga, with breath work, with friendship, mm. uh, with creativity, types of natural medicine, creativity, mm. right? Mm. And these all are incredibly powerful tools that support you. But at the same time, it's to also sometimes acknowledge the need for support that sometimes you can't get yourself through this by yourself that sometimes you've got to lean in and, and get some help right i don't know why i'm saying that to you it's just been a very important discovery for me you know this constant resourcefulness that i i really want of myself to be resilient and to take damn good care of myself uh yeah i don't always get it right sometimes i need oh. support and help yes because sometimes we we subconsciously link resilience with a belief system that I can do this on my own, that I can figure this out. And, and in fact, sometimes resi- resilience actually means saying, I need help. I, I, I need a witness. I, I need support. I need a different perspective here. I need a tool. I need an anchor. You know, sometimes that's what resilience means. Because our default when we're hurting, our default when we're in pain is to retreat and to cut off from our sources of support. And, and sometimes, sometimes we need, yes, and sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to kind of withdraw and go within and be quiet and listen to our inner voice. But, you know, I, I think it's, we have to be very careful around whether we are armoring in that process. Which leads me to think about a word, and I'm curious about how you define this word. What does being authentic mean to you? What is authenticity for you? Mm. Wow, that's a, that's a great question, Rosanna. It's, it's a beautiful question. I think for me, authenticity is about responding to life and responding to what is arising from your heart and trusting that you, your next action will be in alignment with what you truly believe to be meaningful in that moment. So that you have the courage to take the next step that feels like it is in alignment with what is most meaningful for you, what is in alignment with your value systems, that you're not compromising yourself in the name of fear. I, I think it's fear that pulls us out of authenticity. I also think it's shame that pulls us out of authenticity. Yes, yes, absolutely. There's lots of shame making going on in the world at the moment. Because of the fear, potentially. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. You know, and I just um, reflect on the pain that we're experiencing on a global level, on a collective level, on a personal level right now. And um, just the reaction to this virus. And I think it offers all of us an opportunity to really reflect on whether we are showing up authentically in response to what is happening in the world right now. Does this feel meaningful for me? 
why am I doing what I'm doing? How am I, how am I reacting? Am I falling into this, this kind of collective fear-based consciousness? How do I choose to show up? How do I respond to my own fear of my mortality? How do I show up to the fact that, uh, you know, nothing is certain, that the nature of life is impermanent? What do I do with this? How do I relate to this? What does this mean for my healing? You know, and just on that, uh, yeah, COVID's definitely got its gifts and its demons, right? But it's fascinating. You can see this reorganization of self values, relevance, purpose. And then a big one that I've noticed is connection, right? Mm -hmm. It's been everyone I speak to, it's all about like, they have this thing. It's like, I know who my people are now. I know for sure who my people are now. I love that, right? That we don't have to have this massive network of, you know, folks in our lives to hustle, but what we really need is deep connection. Yes. Um, and so the, this, uh, this seeing lots of kind of intergenerational family dynamics emerging where young couples are now, I mean, I'm one of them taking care of our elderly parents, but this is, you know, I'm not the only one. There's lots that are saying, hey, you know, like actually I'm going to just lean into my folks and take better care of them. Mm-hmm. But another one that I love is this idea of friendship. Yes. You know, the importance of your friends. And what they bring to your life and the journey you can walk with your friends and how they define you and how you can be so real with your friends. What a gift friendship truly actually is. Um, I think is for me, certainly been one of the biggest gifts of COVID really absolutely sure who my friends are. Yeah. 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 And on that note of friendship, you know, I just have to honor ours and I think what is so deeply meaningful for me and what I am so incredibly grateful for is how unconditional our friendship is and our love is. And we've been through so much together. You know, there were so many moments that could have broken our friendship, right? But this unconditional connection and love of each other and support of each other has just kind of pulled us through all of that and in the process just deepened uh, the bond even more. And, uh, yeah, the fact that I can just completely unravel with you, you know, the very few people that I can cry with, and you're one of them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, here's to connection, this beautiful human experience of friendship, true unconditional friendship and love. And uh, wow, I mean, for me, that is the strongest thread of healing ever. So uh, before we wrap up, um, just maybe share some last thoughts and, and, you know, where can people find you? How can people engage with you, your work? I've just what completed are you my Instagram training, which I absolutely loved. So I'm really excited to use this now as a tool in my coaching process. Um, I continue to do my work in business and in teams, which I love. Uh, And I I think I'm going to start experimenting with, you know, behavioral change in the digital space. 
So, you know, looking into what does that look like and how do you do that properly so that it adds value to people's lives. And then I'm also embarking on quite an exciting project at the moment, which is a whole new territory for me around retiring athletes. Wow. So we're working with grief and transition and redefining your identity. And yeah, I'm loving the challenge of that because uh, it's it's a whole new terrain, you know, of, of learning about the science around performance and and how you connect transition and grief into an athlete's universe so it's relatable. Yeah, so I'm working on that at the moment. Awesome. And, um, yeah, that's, I guess, what I'm doing. Wow. You can put well, my number on the thread if you want underneath your thing. Yes. I mean, will. I'll check if I have a website. Risa. <laughs> Well, Risa, thank you so much. Um, this has been so healing for me, actually, to have this conversation with you today. And um, yeah, just thank you for just being you. Thank you for listening to Threads of Healing, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ila Manga. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And feel free to leave a review and tell us what you think. If you have found this podcast inspiring and useful, and you know someone who would too, please feel free to pass this along.